0: From Yeti to Nessie, pyramids to pandemics, all is revealed on The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett.
1: Welcome back. Nick Redfern, you may have seen him on the History Channel's Ancient Aliens, A Monster Quest, and UFO Hunters, and. Uh over on across the pond uh, in the UK, the BBC's Out of This World, and right now he's here with us on the Conspiracy Show. We're talking about his new book, The Pyramids and the Pentagon: The Government's Top Secret Pursuit of Mystical Relics, Ancient Astronauts, and Lost Civilizations. And we're talking. Uh, we were talking earlier before the break about the CIA's secret file, top secret file on Noah's Ark. And uh, Nick, were you ever able to ascertain? Um, you know what was the CIA's preoccupation and under whose orders were they investigating whether or not this Ararat artifact uh, was in fact uh, the final resting place of Noah's Ark
2: mm. well yeah I mean that's a good question Richard because you would imagine that you know that as you quite rightly said before the break at the height of the Cold War you would think the the CIA would have other things to do than look for the remains you know of a rotted old boat or whatever was left of it you know It didn't really make sense. You know, you would imagine that was more something along the lines for archaeologists, theologians, historians, people like that. Um, And that would be the case if, you know, the only thing that was on the CIA's mind was that, well, it must be just an old rotted hull of a boat. You know, maybe the legends are true about Noah's Ark. But what's interesting is that not just the CIA, but other agencies of the military and governments and the intelligence community... We're also monitoring the idea and look, and actually opening files on authors who were talking about this particular issue, namely the idea that what if Noah's Ark wasn't just sort of an old boat? What if the stories about this ark, this huge ark filled with sort of two by two animals, what if it was actually? an alien ufo and what if the story is about for example two by two animals this was a theory posited later on what if they were sort of collecting dna and sort of genetic material of you know the entire species different species across the planet and sort of preserving them in an arc-like scenario in the event of some disaster where the planet would need to be repopulated again after you know things had calmed down after a turbulent worldwide Uh, disaster. And again, some of these files have been declassified, demonstrating how FBI agents had gone and sat in the audiences and prepared lengthy reports on authors who were talking about the idea that perhaps the story of Noah's Ark coming to rest on Mount Ararat was actually a UFO landing or crash landing on the mountain, you know, complete with um, sort of biological materials of, you know, pretty much all the different animals on the planet. So in other words, if it was some sort of UFO or there is even just a a belief or a a suspicion that that might have been the case, I think it's pretty clear that the reason for looking into this would be to see if there was any sort of capital to be gained from finding and trying to understand an advanced technology. In other words, you know, it it was never a case of just trying to determine if the old stories of Noah's Ark could be vindicated. It was to, to determine if there was some sort of, I guess, technology that you could extract from the past and sort of weaponize in the present, if you like.
1: That's absolutely fascinating. I mean, that's mind-blowing is what it is, yeah. Nick. But uh, and I'm guessing these documents were heavily redacted, lots of uh, black marks all over the pages to protect names and dates and and, and, uh, and yeah, so forth. Yeah,
2: I mean, that, that's one of the problem. I mean, what in today's world, you can understand it, that if uh, some of these files, you know, they date only from like the last 10 years, You know, they're not going to release files, obviously, with agents' names on who could still be in the agency. You know, you can understand that, you know, and I don't push for that sort of stuff because, you know, it's the last thing you want is, you know, causing trouble for people in service. But what's interesting is that, you know, we have the testimony from very credible people who've talked about sort of the U-2 missions to photograph Noah's Ark, and yet those files haven't surfaced. We have references to the satellite footage uh, we have references to the CIA going out, as I said, and, you know, monitoring lectures. We've got the FBI files. But some of the more intriguing stuff about, you know, covert spy missions to overfly the mountain with high-powered cameras, etc., in the 70s, that's not there. And what's interesting is that there's like a, a decade or more from like the mid-60s through the mid-70s that, where all the files, there's just nothing. And yet that isn't reflected by the, what the witnesses are saying. So it's almost like some a whole section has been sort of pulled from the file. Or, you know, it may be that it's held by other agencies or departments that, you know, their material hasn't come up for declassification or it's buried so deep that even that some of the Freedom of Information people, you know, don't know what the agency is holding. You know, that, that's actually something that does happen, that, you know, people within the agency, if they're not cleared... And the stuff's still classified. Even they can't get hold of it to review it. You
1: must, you must find that, that that's the tantalising part of this. It's not the stuff that you find. It's the stuff that's missing.
2: <laughs> well, that's right. I mean, and why I find it intriguing is that you know, if there was no there were no snippets of information on this other material, then you could legitimately say, well, maybe there just isn't anything else. But when you've got people talking about it. And we do have some files. You know, they're clearly talking about real events, you know, analyzing footage or photographs. I mean, there are a number of stories I relate in the book, for example, about um, photographic experts, you know, whose job it is to try and determine what a photograph taken from 50,000 feet up, you know, actually shows, you know, that that's their entire job. And some of those people have come forward, or actually, I should say that the son of one of the people, who was involved in this came forward and I interviewed him. And he said, you know, my dad saw these photographs, was asked to try and determine what they showed. None of that material has surfaced. But because we know other aspects of the story are true, you know, it pretty much is a given that this is a true story as well. But it's like, well, where are the files? And you're right. You know, what's more... Intriguing is probably what's contained in the material that hasn't surfaced.
1: Last question on this, and then we'll move on to the, uh, the pyramids, uh, uh, Nick. And that is, any evidence or any hint in those documents that the CIA may have dispatched some team to, to, uh, on an expedition to Mount Ararat?
2: Well, not so much in the files, but I mean, I do actually have sort of pretty much a whole chapter on this in the book concerning something called Project Moondust. And Project Moondust was a legitimate military program, which still exists today, but it has a new name, and apparently that name is still classified and has not been released. But it used to be called Moondust, and the idea was that it would its entire mandate was to basically acquire uh, for the U.S. military overseas advanced technologies. For example, let's say you know a Russian spy satellite crashed in the Pacific Ocean. Moondust and its related personnel would be sent out and try and get to the sea before the Russians and retrieve whatever it was, take it back to the Air Force's foreign technology division and then they'd analyse it to see how advanced the technology was and if anything could be learned from it. And what's interesting is that the Mundus people were copied on much of this material. So in other words, you know, they were looking to see if there was any technology that could be exploited and recovered. And this ties in with your your question. One of the people I interviewed um, for the book said that his father was involved in an operation to analyze photographs um, of this Ararat anomaly, and it fell under the jurisdiction, he said, of a project called Moondust. And of course, you know, this is the one that its official mandate is to acquire and analyze advanced technology for U.S. military gain. So, and these files talk about some sort of like a Delta Force type team being parachuted onto the mountain to examine this thing. And, actually talking about finding something that was not like a, a rotted old wooden ship, but was like a, a hollowed-out metallic hull, which clearly wouldn't have been an old wooden ark. They said, you know, and they didn't find anything like advanced machinery or technology inside, but they said it was it was just literally like an empty shell, but metal. You know, so that's true. Then it clearly takes it out of way out of the ballpark. Mm. And, um, you know, so that's one example. But I'll be the first to admit, you know, the yeah you know, I said the more sensational, the more intriguing stuff, we've got fragments of the stories. but I'm encouraged that you know at least we've got some of the files because if, if there was no files, that would be a problem. The fact that we've got some that do verify parts of the story, it suggests we've got a foot in the door at least
1: so we uh, we move uh, now from Mount Ararat in uh, modern day Turkey to uh, Egypt, and of course, when we talk about egypt we obviously want to talk about the great pyramids and the prevailing wisdom here is that they were uh constructed you know uh, huge slabs of of stone uh you know quarried with copper chisels and 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 dragged uh, using uh, i don't know uh, ropes and chains or, or not rope and chains but uh, yeah. uh you know ropes and ramps and and, and levers and so forth mm-hmm. uh but there's some ancient legends, I guess, suggesting some other technology may have been, advanced technology may have been used, and the Pentagon got wind of this, and and all of a sudden, they're interested in it. What, so what's yep. the story behind the Pentagon's uh, theory, or or um, uh, these documents, which suggest the pyramids may have been constructed via levitation?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's not just um, the pyramids. I mean, you can look at, for example, ancient Rome, Greece, the pyramids of egypt pyramids of south africa excuse me south america central america stonehenge they all have legends attached to them you know even though they're separated by continents and thousands of miles and in some cases centuries and uh, but they all have legends attached to them that the stones are supposedly lifted by, by what they described then as sort of like you know magical means but today you know we would view as something like anti-gravity or levitation um and one of the people who spoke about this was a man named Abu al-Hassan Ali al-Masudi, which is a bit of a mouthful, but um, he was a prolific 10th century writer born in Baghdad in uh, 896 A.D. And he chronicled um, this sort of an immense 30-volume um, series of texts that basically told the history of the world and all his travels around India, East Africa, Egypt, Syria, Armenia... And it talks in there about how he'd uncovered some very ancient Arabic stories about how supposedly the pyramids had reportedly really been built. And it's a very intriguing story where it talks about these sort of large rods of iron that would they, that the ancients would use, um, like a rod of metal, and they would strike the stone and they would rise slowly into the air and kind of rock like a like a small boat, you know, on a river or whatever. And they would be prodded and pushed, and they would sort of gently move like five feet above the ground along these corridors in the desert, which are all surrounded by these similar rods. Um, and it almost sounds like this sort of magnetic levitation technology that, you know, that some of the more advanced trains, in uh, passenger trains in Japan that they use. You know, they're sort of what they call these maglev um, technologies right, you know, where right. it, tr- it doesn't actually sit on the track. It actually sounds very much like that. You know, they're talking about them raising them higher, pushing them into place without the need for brute force, you know, ropes, rollers, manpower, etc. And what's interesting is that many of these ancient cultures talk about Now, when I say this at first, it's going to sound weird, but they talk about the stones being lifted either to the sound of music, tunes, musical instruments, and sound. Um, And, you know, that sounds bizarre until you realize that today's military is heavily researching this. Basically, basically the idea is what they call acoustic technology. Now, the way this works is, is the idea that Um, Highly amplified and directed directed acoustics The military has been able to demonstrate You can actually lift um, sort of small objects within the wave It's basically you have two opposing sound frequencies With what are called interfering sound waves And it creates what's called a resonant zone That allows you to control what's in that zone and lift it
1: Not the kind of technology that was readily available during the fourth dynasty of ancient Egypt.
2: No, that's the whole point. It should not have been. But when you hear all these cultures around the world saying that the the stones were raised by music, by sound, by noise, that sounds what the like very much like what the military is doing today with this rudimentary acoustic technology to, to levitate objects. Now, of course, the big question is, if that's true and that this applies to these stories about the Egyptian pyramids as well being lifted up, you know, the stones lifted up with this magical rod of iron, these maglev-type technologies, then you have to ask the next question, well, where on earth or off it did this technology come from? Um, Was it extraterrestrial? Or was it, as some researchers believe, you know, could there have been ancient civilizations, perhaps, as advanced as us in many ways, but in other ways, advanced in very different ways, so that, you know, there wasn't much left, or there isn't much left of their ancient cultures in terms of computers or 747s or any equivalents of that, but maybe they advanced in a very different way and developed highly alternative technologies to us, but in many ways were far more advanced in what they could achieve. I mean, you know, the biggest stone-carved block in the world, a place called Baalbek, um, that weighs in at just around one thousand tons. you know that cannot be shifted and put into place today you know but 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 it was, but it was constructed you know you can google it and see it um so you know the other theory is that maybe it wasn 't alien technology, maybe there was you know in the vast, distant past, who knows 60,000 years ago, which goes against all conventional wisdom, but maybe there was an advanced culture and some of their you know, their secrets got passed down, and although they're lost today, maybe they existed, you know, at a time, you know, 5,000, 10,000 years ago, and, you know, we perceived them as being built in some other fashion, and now the technology really has been lost, and it's just been relegated to sort of folklore and mythology.
1: All right, we'll pick that up on uh, the other side with Nick Redfern discussing the pyramids and the Pentagon here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away
3: your small business website is the key to attracting new customers no one's looking for you in the yellow pages anymore they're looking online if only there was a way to make sure consumers found your website first before they find your competitors well there is and it all starts with knowing your website score yes your website has a score search engines like google use it to determine where to place you on a search results page The higher the score, the higher you show up on the page, and the easier it is for consumers to find you. Now you can instantly discover your website score for free by visiting BetterWebScore.com. That's BetterWebScore.com. You'll get your scores as well as the scores of your three closest competitors. Plus, we'll show you what you need to fix to improve your score. Having a low website score is like having no website at all. Know your score. Go to BetterWebscore.com. There's no cost or obligation. That's BetterWebscore.com.
4: Listen up, ladies. Right now, Bare Minerals by Bare Essentials is inviting you to participate in a special nationwide giveaway of the mineral makeup everyone's talking about. That's right, we're letting everyone who calls try America's number one mineral makeup risk-free. Just call 1-800-506-9427 to find out how. This is an exclusive radio-only offer you don't want to miss. You've probably heard about Bare Minerals Foundation. It was quoted in Glamour Magazine as a magic eraser. Allure Magazine, InStyle, and Elle Magazines, and Leaders in Beauty continue to rave about how bare minerals foundation is naturally radiant and good for your skin now you can participate in our nationwide giveaway and see for yourself Bare Minerals, makeup so pure you can sleep in it. Experience the foundation that started the makeup revolution. Participate in this special opportunity to try Bare Minerals Foundation risk-free. We will also send you a free gift set. Just call 1-800-506-9427 now. Hurry, you don't want to miss this exclusive radio offer. 1-800-506-9427.
0: In search of sunken cities and weird science, mythical beasts, and modern-day bloodsuckers. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett continues. Welcome back, friends. Nick Redfern stays with us.
1: His latest, The Pyramids and the Pentagon. It's a good one. The government's top-secret pursuit of mystical relics, ancient astronauts, and lost civilizations. And uh, we're talking right now about the Pentagon documents uh, pertaining to the Egyptian pyramids, an investigation into the possibility that they were actually constructed uh, via levitation. So, what did these Pentagon documents reveal
2: to you, Nick? Well, basically, Richard, it kind of parallels quite eerily the situation with the Noah's Ark story. In the same way that, you know, with Noah's Ark, the government was watching people who were saying it was a UFO, the military opened files on people who were researching and writing about this whole idea of levitation and the pyramids. One of them uh, was a guy named Maurice Jessup, who was a researcher who wrote a number of books on UFOs in the 1950s. But as well as being interested in UFOs, he was also deeply interested in the mysteries of the past and actually traveled to Central and South America, Mexico, looking into a lot of ancient stone structures and coming back absolutely convinced they were built with some sort of ancient levitation technology. What was interesting is that Jessup didn't even have to approach the military. They started opening files on him. And in some cases, where they do it clandestinely, you know, even the researcher or the author doesn't know, they actually invited Jessup out to DC, paid for his flight, his hotel room, and intensively grilled him about his book, The Case for the UFO, for two reasons. One, because he discussed extensively this whole anti gravity levitation technology in the hands of the ancients and the navy had been sent an anonymous copy of the book with all sorts of annotations inside it relative to the so-called philadelphia experiment the legend of this reportedly vanishing ship from the second world war but what was actually interesting is that the guys in the navy who invited jessup out were actually attached to an advanced weapons and technology research program and They were deeply interested by the theories that he had, that, you know, the ancients did have access to some sort of technology, regardless of, you know, was it alien? Was it from somewhere on the earth, you know, thousands of years ago? Nobody seemed to know. But Jessup was, as far as I can tell at least, the first one who they opened files on. And he wrote about this extensively. Now, if it had been a one-off, you could just say, well, you know, maybe just a couple of guys in the military who were interested in their personal free time. That was clearly not the case. And that angle is also reinforced by the fact that in the 1960s, and a New Zealand researcher named Bruce Cathy, he was also the subject of files and correspondence, where, again, it was clear that the military was interested in his books. He wrote a number of books, most famous one called Harmonic 33, which again addressed this idea that in the ancient past, UFOs, if you like, flew around the Earth using what was basically like a grid system, he postulated, and that there was this same grid, if you like, not a literal physical grid, but kind of like in the air, you know, it would be like an equivalent to the New York subway system, but it was just sort of levels or lines of energy along which UFOs and these stones could be moved. And they opened files on him. A number of other authors as well who'd written about this angle were also the subject of files. So basically what it was, I think the military was deeply interested in this anti-gravity angle. But because it was so far in the distant past, they took an approach that you necessarily wouldn't think they'd always do. You know, you'd imagine they'd always be out looking for these things. But what they did was to monitor the public work of people who were researching this angle And then take their inspiration and leads and names and data from that and then take it to the next level. We don't always expect the government, you know, to sort of follow the lead of authors and see what they're saying for their information. But that's exactly what was going on here. You know, it was, well, if if this is thousands of years ago, but it sounds like a technology we could make use of, how are we going to find it? Well, let's see what the people in the paranormal community are saying and... You know, we'll we'll take the lead from
1: them. Well, it's interesting that uh, during the 1950s, I believe both the British Defense Department and the U.S. Defense Department were both boasting, even in the media, that they were very close to developing some sort of anti-gravitic device. And then all of a sudden, late 1950s, there was like a complete blackout and nothing was ever said about that again. Do you think there may be a connection?
2: Yeah, I do. I mean, that's absolutely 100% true. That you can look back at the historical record now and find newspapers and magazine articles, aviation periodicals, you know, where they're talking about the military coming very close to developing like an anti-gravity technology, and that you know they were talking about how it would revolutionise the world, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. What's interesting is that all this was in the period of sort of 56, you know, 57, 58, which was at the height of when Morris Jessup. Was doing his research, and when he was flown out by the navy to talk to these guys from this advanced weapons and technology project,
1: there you go. Listen, I'm sorry, I got to jump in here, Nick. I got the music coming up, so uh, we'll we'll, uh, break away when we come back. We'll we'll finish up on that, and then we have to get into one of the, I think, one of the strangest chapters uh, in your book, one of the strangest sections, and this has to do with dimension hopping with the military. Bizarre story of the U.S. military perhaps going over to the Middle East to capture genies, or what they they refer to as the djinn. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show
0: and Nick Redfern. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Uh, the strange findings the government doesn't want you to know about.
1: Nick Redfern is here, and this is a, a rich vein to be mined for sure. So, uh, and obviously, uh, only time here to scratch the surface, so you'll want to go out and get a copy of The Pyramids and the Pentagon, The Government's Top-Secret Pursuit of Mystical Relics, Ancient Astronauts, and Lost Civilizations. That's Nick Redfern's latest. And uh, we, we've been talking about uh, the Pentagon's investigation into claims the Egyptian pyramids were constructed via levitation. I mean, I we could probably you know go on and on at length and talk about uh, that. I mean, I, I'd love to get into a discussion about you know whether or not the, the Pentagon or the CIA were perhaps investigating uh, that uh, Latvian American eccentric down in in uh, in Florida who constructed the Coral Castle, and some suggested that those huge. Um, Megalithic uh, stones, uh, limestone formed from coral. They each weighed several tons. Perhaps he used the same type of technology. Uh, it has been speculated to move those around.
2: Um, well, yeah, I mean, you, can, you, you know, wherever you look around the world, there are you know anomalies involving vast stones and big questions as to how they were moved. You know, and and you know that that's, that's a classic case because it demonstrates that you know it's not necessarily always in the distant past. You know. So.
1: Indeed. Uh, one of the uh, the frequent con- contributors to this program is uh, paranormal researcher Rosemary Ellen Guiley. I know that, that you know uh, Rosemary. And uh, she's written extensively and researched ex- extensively about the jinn. Uh, D-J-I-N-N, not uh, the kind that comes in a bottle. <laughs> Although, well actually that's not true. Some do come in a bottle. <laughs> Both varieties come in a bottle. Uh, but uh, genies, we call them here in, in the West. Uh, these are supposedly interdimensional uh, entities, not particularly well-mannered from what I gather, um, and lo and behold, I see this section in your book, The, T- the Pyramids and the Pentagon, uh, that suggests the military, the U.S. military, may have actually tried to capture one of these things. Is that true, Nick?
2: Well, this is a very weird story. I mean, there are a number of stories like this in circulation. I actually got a very similar one to this when I was researching an earlier book called Final Events, where the military was obsessed with gins. Um, and for people who aren't aware of it, you know, basically, gins are sort of the Middle Eastern equivalent of sort of, I guess, you know, demonic entities in some, in some cultures or goblins, you know, and trolls. They're sort of perceived as sort of... Creatures that can be benevolent, but if you sort of cross their path, they can be malevolent as well. And they sort of live in, you know, sort of twilight, ethereal realms that kind of coexist alongside ours. You know, so in other words, the term jinn one person's djinn in one part of the world 2,000 years ago, you know, is another person's goblin or, or... pixie, you know, in 15, 15th century England, you know, it's kind of like that sort of thing, or a sprite, or a hobgoblin. Shadow sort of people. Thing. Yeah, exactly. But what it all comes down to is that these entities are perceived as being creatures that can sort of flit in and out of our reality. And if they do that, well, you know, it's obviously not by using the simplistic terms like magic or something like that. Obviously, there's a there's some issue at work that allows this to happen. And this is one of the areas that the government looked into. Also, the idea of so-called stargates, you know, of sort of leaping from one realm to another. Um, and this is, you know, this is something I talk about in the book. This angle that the military was sort of consulting ancient texts and, you know, mythologies and folklore, etc., to try and determine if it really was just mythology and or folklore, or if there were sort of portals using some advanced technology to other realms of existence and Mm -hmm. dimensions, and of course, you know, somebody got hold of that, that would be an incredible technology, you know, from a military perspective. And there are stories about supposedly trying to capture these things and, you know, um, I mean, how you would do that, that's an entirely different thing. And granted, you know, we only know snippets of the story, but you know, there, there are a number of stories like this that have come from various sources over the years about, you know, trying to capture these entities. Now, of course, if that's happened, we haven't been told about it. But certainly in the latter part, or excuse me, in the middle part of this, uh, this decade, a number of uh, stories surfaced from different sources all about sort of mi- attempts in the Middle East to, to capture, you know, for want of a better term, gin, or, you know, sort of equally benevolent, uh, or malevolent, I should say, um, creatures that become known as, like, elementals, you know, that sort of exist in some magical realm, if you like. But, and it was specifically the military that was supposedly trying to entrap them.
1: Any documentation that you found?
2: No, I mean, that's the thing. You know, there's, there's where, where possible, I always try and get verification and additional sources uh, you know, Freedom Information Act. This is one of these stories that, you know, as I point out, it's a take-it-or-leave-it one in the sense that the story's been told, but nothing has surfaced at all, you know, officially on this. It's 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 purely sort of word of mouth. And, you know, but, but I point out in the book where stories are word of mouth or whether they're from deep throat whistleblower sources or whether they're from... Freedom of Information Act, or a combination, you know, because it's important to, you know, get across to people the different varying levels of how the data is serviced, I think.
1: When you're investigating and researching this book, Mm -hmm. and you are contacting uh, former CIA agents or or spokespeople, how do they react? Do they... Is there a defense sort of a mechanism that goes up do they do they try and laugh it off? are they embarrassed uh, that you know that uh, they've been caught sort of investigating this stuff how do they handle it
2: well you know I mean that's an interesting question. it's interesting questions one I've never actually been asked before but I mean I can give you I can give you an answer um, you know what very often happens is that you know the initial impetus will be people coming to me you know they'll say you know hey I read your." last book or whatever and I wanted to tell you something about my time in the service because i know something that was related to that and so very often they're being quite forthright but then they might say well you know here's seven names of people i work with so you track them down and when you phone them sometimes you know you get a you do get a combination of oh well yeah i have be waiting for somebody to tell tell this story too. others are well who are you why are you contacting me You know, and they're they're actually fearful. I've actually had a couple of occasions, not many, but just a couple, where the person has thought it's somebody in the government who's been trying to track them down and encouraging, he's phoning them because they don't want them to talk. You know, I had to convince them it was the exact opposite. Other times, you know, people have just said, no, you've got the wrong person. And then after a while, you know, I found back and said, well, I know I haven't got the wrong person, you know, but if you don't want to talk, is that what you're saying? They're like, yeah, I don't want to talk. Um when you're using freedom of information, you know, that's very much more sort of bureaucratic. You know, they don't sort of enter into debate and conversation as such. It's more, thank you for your request. You know, it'll be processed within 90 days. And if there's any material, it'll be forwarded. And if there isn't, we'll, we'll tell you, you know, that the search came up a negative response. So, you know, it's not like you kind of, you know, they phone you up and say, Hey, dude, you know, this is cool. You know? <laughs> right, like right. That, so. Well, I,
1: I asked that because a few years ago you wrote, uh, you know, The Real Men in Black. Yeah. Uh, people that have been uh, visited by these mysterious uh, individuals uh, after, you know, claiming to see a UFO and going public about it. I'm just wondering whether you ever got a sense that maybe you got a little too close to something you shouldn't have and maybe you got a visit from someone.
2: Oh, um, I've never had a visit or anything like that, but what I have had is a lot of very weird telephone interference, and what's interesting is that the telephone interference has occurred when I've been doing interviews, and I actually bring that issue up, it's almost as if, you know, someone's listening in, and it's like an attempt at intimidation, you know, to say, hey, just to let you know we're listening, you know, and... That is one of the typical aspects of the Men in Black mystery is that, you know, it's not just people get that sort of slow banging on the front door at midnight. You know, they pick up the phone and there's like this weird chattering or electronic voices in some strange language or, you know, just screeches and electronic noises. Um, And, you know, in today's world, it's not like the Hollywood movies, you know, where they have to tap, keep the person on the line for 10 minutes to trace or whatever. You know, those days are gone. And the days of hearing clicks on the phone are gone as well. So if this is being done and I think it is, because a number of people reporting very similar things to me, it's being done deliberately, you know, to and it's being done to like a psychological thing, to let you know someone's listening. And and I think government agencies prefer to do that, you know, than outwardly threaten people because if you if you sort of stay in the background and listen, you have a better chance of just Carefully, you know, monitoring the entire situation. You sort of, if the government plays its hand and you know takes action, people clam up. If they're not really sure anybody's listening, that's actually to the government's advantage to sort of play, you know, that sort of. Um, Careful approach,
1: if you like. I'm smiling as, as you're describing this, uh, you know, this phenomenon of, of, of uh, strange telephone interference. I, uh, it's starting to, you're starting to connect some dots from me. A couple of weeks ago, I was uh, on the road doing the show at a remote location. I was in Saskatchewan, interviewing a 9/11 researcher, Jim Fetzer, also a JFK uh, uh, researcher of some renown. And that, uh, Dave Gaskin will uh, agree. I mean, that was a, uh, that, that, from beginning to end, we had nothing but technical uh, difficulties that night. And given that the, the uh, the nature of the uh, the subject matter maybe that's what was going on maybe uh, there were certain things being divulged that certain people didn't want divulged nick redfern is with us the book the pyramids and the pentagon the government's top secret pursuit of mystical relics ancient astronauts and lost civilizations we just have a couple of minutes um i just wanted to mention you you brought up the stargate uh, and uh, you know, interdimensional uh, uh, travel and so forth, and of course, the military would be interested in getting their hands on a piece of equipment like that. There was some suggestion that that may have been the real motivation uh, for the Gulf War One. That and and around that time, I seem to recall that uh, Saddam Hussein had brought in some German archaeologists uh, to dig in the uh, the, the sands uh, in the deserts in Iraq uh and then some uh, suggested that's what he was looking for he was looking for that stargate uh and, and the um, you know the the uh the um, the american forces and their their um, their allies the i guess it was called the force of the willing or whatever it was uh they were look, they were trying to get there and get that stargate first
2: yeah, there's a lot of weird stories linked with, with both Gulf Wars about, you know, the people who ruled in the area looking for ancient technologies and, you know, that part of the missions for going in there was to see what could be found. And, I mean, a classic example with the, you know, the, the latest Gulf War is that when, you know, Iraq was at a tight in turmoil, the Baghdad Museum was looted, which contained a lot of priceless artifacts, ancient manuscripts... And various things, that a number of researchers suggested sort of told stories of, you know, sort of ancient issues and mysteries that government agencies might want to get their hands on. What's interesting is that when an investigation, a U.S. military investigation was undertaken, it demonstrated that far from being just sort of random looting, you know, by people in the city who were just, you know, just out of control and just grabbing stuff it seemed that certain parts of the lower levels of the museum had been deliberately targeted and specific items were taken that were sort of priceless, that told ancient stories, you know, of, of Iraq and um, some of these legendary, legendary ancient kings who supposedly possessed magical powers and things like this. You know, And when you hear that and you realize that that part of the story is legitimate, it does sound like, you know, somebody was actually targeting and pinpointing certain things um, and possibly even using the war as like a you know a as cover. As a cover, for there you go. Doing that. Well, now, that c- who it was, that's the big question.
1: Exactly. Well I'll leave it to you because no one else I, I could imagine could get to the bottom of it, but Nick Redfern will, and perhaps the answer will be revealed in your next book. But uh uh congratulations on the pyramids and the Pentagon. It's a good one, Nick. Thank you for joining me.
2: Thanks a lot, Richard.
1: All right. All right. Well I really uh Appreciate uh, Nick stopping by. Fantastic, fantastic read, The Pyramids in the Pentagon. Hey, you can read all about Nick and uh, other uh,
2: guests on the show. Check out our website, www.richardserret.com.
0: From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Seren. Welcome aboard. Welcome to the uh,
1: the program. Good to have you with us. And I uh, just wanted to, uh, once again, welcome our new affiliate to the uh, Conspiracy Show family, if you will. And uh, say hello to the folks down at AM 1350, WZGM, Asheville, North Carolina. Of course, up here we say WZGM. Uh, but there it'll be WZGM, Asheville, North Carolina. That's AM 1350. Welcome aboard. I drove, um, if not through Asheville, Uh I was in close proximity to Asheville, uh, North Carolina, uh, I guess about a year ago while we were in production on uh, season two of the Conspiracy Show. And one of the most thrilling drives of my life going through the mountains in North Carolina, it was a particularly foggy night and a lot of hairpin turns. And, uh, I was, uh, at the helm. I believe my director was, uh, um he was, uh, riding shotgun, as they say, and he was, uh, y- you know, his feet were doing that imaginary braking, uh, <laughs> it was, uh, it was a little bit nerve-wracking, uh, but uh, somewhat uh, tempered by the, uh, the natural beauty uh even at night it was just a uh, spectacular uh, i can not i wish i could remember the name of that particular highway i want to say high, uh, highway 41 or something like that but absolutely gorgeous i got to get down there again and uh perhaps drop by and say hello to uh the people down there at WZGM Asheville North Carolina welcome wow quite a stir quite a stir in the uh the UFO community after a former senior CIA official has stated publicly, basically what he said in in a nutshell is, everything you've heard about Roswell and the supposed crash of an alien vessel is true, including the recovery of alien cadavers. Yes, this is coming from a former CIA official who liaisoned with the entertainment industry. I'm not exactly sure what that means, but we're about to find out. And whenever we uh, delve into uh, uh, matters of uh, uh, UFOs or extraterrestrials, of course, I recruit my good friend who sits opposite me tonight, Victor Vigiani, the, of course, executive director of Z-Land News Network, who sat in for me a week ago. And thank you for that, Victor. Welcome.
5: Great to be back again. My goodness, what a treat to uh, begin delving into this intrigue that we're looking at. It is filled with absolute
1: intrigue this evening, Richard. And uh, we've also uh, uh, recruited for our little panel tonight, Robbie Graham. He's been with us before. He's a, a doctoral candidate at the University of Bristol for a Ph.D. examining Hollywood's historical representations of UFOs. Now, there's a thesis I can't wait to read. My word, what a fascinating area. Uh, um, again, uh, historical representations of UFOs and potential extraterrestrial life. As a freelance writer and lecturer, his work emphasizes the industrial, cultural, and political processes by which Hollywood's UFO movie content is shaped, as well as the impact of these movies on popular perceptions of the UFO phenomenon. Well, that now I'm starting to understand what a entertainment liaison uh, might do for the CIA. We're also... Oh, let me say first hello. Hello to Robbie Graham.
6: Hi there, Richard,
1: how are you? I'm wonderful, thank you. You're uh, in the UK, and so it's very early in the morning. You're a terrific sport getting up uh, getting up at this hour. Thank you. Oh,
6: no problem, my pleasure.
1: We're also joined by Grant Cameron, who became involved in ufology as the Vietnam War ended in May '75 with a personal sighting of an object, which locally became known as Charlie Red Star. Uh, but of course. Uh, In uh, later years, he's uh, turned his research interests to the involvement and actions of the presidents of the United States in the UFO problem. He's made 25-plus trips to the National Archives and most of the various presidential archives looking for presidential UFO material. Grant Cameron, good to have you aboard. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show.
7: Well, thanks for having me on, Victor.
1: Uh, it's uh, Richard. Victor's, uh, Victor's, uh, sitting, uh, opposite me here in studio as well. Uh, thank you all. So, let me begin by asking you, uh, let's find out a little bit about this official in question. Charles Chase Brandon, the CIA's former liaison to the entertainment industry. Um why don't we begin with Victor in studio? First of all, what is, uh, a, a liaison to the entertainment industry from the CIA's perspective? What would that person be in, uh, responsible for?
5: Well, some of the things that I know that individuals... Like Chase Brandon did do, uh, was, they would consult with different, uh, movie directors, film corporations, etc. And what they would do is review scripts, review, uh, different types of equipment and personnel that would be on site on any given, on any given, uh, you know, film venture by a Hollywood, uh, be it Disney or whatever. And they would sort of quote unquote, uh, the consult with uh, things like uh, different you know symbols on on UFOs different kinds of script things that would be uh, stated by individuals that would be you know it, within the script so they would sanction some of the things that would be uh, okay to say and okay not to say or not okay to say on on uh, during the film so they would vet a lot of the scripts and in some cases we have information that the CIA um, more or less nudged wink wink uh, different uh, directors or writers to rewrite certain parts of the script so that it would fall more in line with the CIA support of these, of these particular films. And these films were supported in many different ways with equipment, uh, information, and different kinds of training procedures that would uh, be proffered to the public as to how the CIA would be involved in their own work, plus um, controlling what the public would come to understand about
1: any given UFO film that dealt, that dealt with extraterrestrials. Uh, Robbie Graham, uh, this is exactly, you know, sort of the the nature of your research, is it not? That uh, trying to find out what sort of influence uh, in these uh, alphabet uh, intelligence organizations exerted in Hollywood in shaping the UFO message, correct?
6: Yeah, that's certainly a big part of my research. Um, my research is split between the cultural and the political. Um, so I look at the natural cultural process that goes on uh, in in the shaping the popular perceptions of the UFO phenomenon, uh, but at the same time I also look at the political and corporate influences uh, in that process as well. And uh, the CIA plays heavily into that, as, as does the Department of Defense. But Victor really summed it up quite perfectly there in terms of what the CIA does and has done historically uh, in Hollywood over the years. The liaison office for Hollywood. Um, with the CIA it wasn't established until 1995 uh, 96 uh, That was the point at which the CIA officially became involved in Hollywood. Prior to that, they well, they really claimed no involvement at all, but uh, documents uh, released over the decades uh, do show that the CIA has been covertly influencing uh, scripts uh, as, as early as 1953 and, and prior to that as well.
1: Now, Charles Chase Brandon, the CIA's former liaison to the, to the entertainment industry, uh, publicly stated recently, "quote I was absolutely, um, it, it is n- known as I sit here. It is one. It is absolutely one hundred percent true as I sit here talking to you that there was a craft from beyond this world that cr- crashed at Roswell, that the military picked up remains of not just the wreck- wreckage, but cadavers. This is." what charles chase brandon has said is 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 he someone um that you're familiar with uh, uh, prior to this statement has his name come up in your research previously robbie
6: yes it has and in fact anyone who's ever conducted any uh, uh, serious research into hollywood propaganda and government involvement in hollywood will come across chase brandon's name and in fact anyone who's worked in hollywood um, uh, for any amount of time really, uh, who has ever liaised with Central Intelligence Agency will have, uh, come across Brandon's name or met him personally. Uh, he's, he's a known figure in Hollywood. Uh, he occupied the position of entertainment liaison officer uh, with the CIA for, uh, for around a decade from sort of 1996 to around 2007, maybe 2006. Uh, and yeah, he, in that role, he, he made contact with all of the movie shakers in Tinseltown. He um he made that his business and uh uh yeah the, the, the official uh, capacity there was was that he was uh trying to encourage a more favorable representation of the CIA in Hollywood and trying to in the CIA's work educate filmmakers uh, and artists about what the CIA does uh in an effort to encourage more positive portrayals of the agency because prior to the CIA's official involvement in Hollywood of course, the CIA typically has been negatively portrayed on screen as a, uh, you know, as a dark, secretive, uh, force, uh, of malevolence, um, and it's, uh, the CIA sort of grew tired of this and they felt that in order to boost recruitment and retention of personnel, uh, they needed to take an active role, uh, or, or should we say an open and more overt role in Hollywood and, uh, they decided to, in their own words, come out of the shadows and, uh, share some of what they do with, uh, with the entertainment industry, uh, in order to, as I say, impose a more positive portrayal of the, of the, uh, of the agency. So, so that's what they've been doing officially, uh, for, well, since 1996, but, um again, there's mountains of evidence, uh, and very concrete evidence, uh, which shows that since at least 1953, since 1953, in a very big way, the agency was involved in Hollywood, and um, but this was in a co capacity. And you had operatives infiltrating studios, uh, liaising very closely with studio heads, with actors, with directors, with producers, uh, tweaking scripts, uh, having films funded, and um, having films censored. And so, yeah, there was a very pervasive influence, um, throughout the Cold War.
1: Let me get, uh, Grant Cameron in here and then, uh, we'll, um, I'll turn, uh, things over to Victor for a moment. But, uh, but Grant, w- w- what is the? Well, let me just ask you straight out. What do you make of this uh, statement by Charles Chase uh, Brandon? It's caused quite a stir. I mean, are, are, is this is this a, as big a deal as everyone seems to be making? Uh,
7: he he certainly is a a, a guy who claims uh, you know to be the CIA guy, and he is uh, who he claims he is. Uh, the there's no doubt that the the. CIA has green-lighted something, that um, if you're a CIA agent, you don't just go on to national radio and um, talk about stuff that hasn't been approved beforehand, so my my interest in the whole story is... What exactly is going on? Because as you know, the CIA official position is uh, they are not involved in UFOs. So to have one of their agents step forward and say not only are they into UFOs, but uh, it's extraterrestrial and I saw what he, he's calling the Roswell Box at Langley uh, has put the CIA into a real sort of uh, catch-22. And Robbie uh, drafted a letter I had part of – access. Or, signed to this letter, a letter to the CIA, and the CIA has said that they will uh, respond to what uh, Chase Brandon has said. So the important thing comes now is uh, did the CIA talk to Chase after – because he made this statement two weeks ago, and now he's been quoted again today by the Huffington Post, uh, actually extending these statements and making new statements, uh, backing up what he originally said – so the whole question is, uh, how does the CIA deal with this, and what exactly is going on? I cannot believe that the CIA is not playing a part in this.
1: All right, let me uh, just jump in here. Sorry, uh, Grant, we've got to break away. I've got the music uh, coming okay. up in behind us, but uh, when we'll, uh, we'll get back, we'll find out exactly what did Chase uh, Brandon, former CIA liaison to the enter- entertainment industry, say about Roswell and the UFO crash, which happened in 1947, about this time. Uh, 65 years ago. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us.
0: Big Brother is listening, and so are you, to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. To speak with Richard, call 416 360 just on a Google
1: map, I actually surprised myself. I was, I was right. I was trying to uh, recall a, a trip through North Carolina as we welcome a, 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 our first affiliate to the program, WZGM, in Asheville, North Carolina. And it is U.S. Route 41 that winds through the Smoky uh, Mountains, which is one of the most spectacular drives. In the continental United States, I've ever taken, uh, but I'm not sure if Asheville is along US 41. If any of our listeners know, would love to hear from you. So shoot me an email or, uh, give us a call. In any event, uh, on to other matters, and, uh, what other matters? My word. Um, about 65 years ago, in and around this week, give or take, we had, uh, the crash of something, uh, not too far from Roswell, New Mexico. Some say it was a weather balloon. Others say it was a craft of extraterrestrial origin. And now we have a former senior CIA official who is known as a liaison to the entertainment industry, Chase Brandon, saying again that 100% Absolutely. I know as I sit here talking to you that there was a craft from beyond this world that crashed at Roswell, that the military picked up remains of not just the wreckage, but cadavers. Victor Vigiani, executive director of Zealand News Network, longtime Canadian ufologist is with us. Robbie Graham, uh, we've now got him on the, uh, the phone uh, from the U.K., uh, doctoral candidate at the University of Bristol for a PhD examining Hollywood's historical representations of UFOs and potential extraterrestrial life, and another uh, celebrated Canadian UFO researcher, Grant Cameron. Uh, his website is www.presidentialufo.com. Okay, so let's examine in a little more detail what Chase Brandon actually said. Victor, uh, fill us in.
5: Well, basically, he indicated that um, with 100% certainty, and these are his words, I'm sort of reflecting on his words again, with 100% certainty, he he could uh, verify that the craft that crashed 65 years ago just outside of Roswell near Corona, New Mexico, was in fact a craft of off-world origin. That was one thing that he said for sure, that he said, absolutely, I know that. He said, absolutely, I know. So that's one thing that he said. The other thing that he said was that he visited the um, uh, what they call the HIC, the Historical Intelligence Collection, I believe it's in Langley. Uh,
1: Yes, I believe that's true. That's
5: right. And he saw uh, items in a box labeled Roswell materials, materials from the Roswell crash, be it uh, items, papers, and documents that attested to um, uh, the verification of the crash itself. Now, uh, he stated this on national radio and unequivocally stated it and apparently has made more statements about it subsequently to another um, writer in the, Huff- the Huffington Post. Now, what I, what I would like to clarify about all of this is that um, both Robbie and, uh, and Grant have sort of uh, been exposed with information. And w- what I want to clarify is if Brandon's comments were subject to official approval, And and if he was speaking the truth, then this might indicate that the CIA is in some way using him to work what the agency calls a limited hangout. What does that mean? Well, that's what I want to ask Robbie. Robbie, take that over for me, please. Robbie Graham, limited hangout. What does that mean?
8: Well, a uh, a limited hangout is a term that's used by uh, the CIA, uh, and it's uh, it, it indicates that, that there's a limited disclosure, shall we say, of um, of information, uh, the release of, of information, uh, truthful information, factual information about a sensitive issue. Um, this is released in a controlled way uh, by a, a source who uh, the CIA or, or the uh, relative agency feels that the public can trust, and the information is released um in order to prevent the uh, greater release or the further release of, of more damaging information so it's it's sort of you sort of you, know, you can have this information uh, but you can't have what else we've got because that would be too damaging and hopefully the release of this small piece of information will be so distracting and so amazing to you that you won't seek further uh, you won't seek further information on it
1: so a controlled uh, leak you and, a controlled uh, and leak
8: and it's a controlled leak it's kind of showing you a shiny penny in order to distract you away from uh, you know, from the darker stuff.
1: Yes, well, we are magpies. We are mollified by shining objects. That's been borne out many times. My question to Grant Cameron would be, why should we believe uh, a Chase Brandon, given that his former role was to essentially manipulate, uh, massage the message coming out of Hollywood? How do we know he's not just doing, the, pulling the same number on us?
7: Well, we don't. That's the that's the whole point of the thing. What we do know is that uh, that the CIA will have some interaction in what's going on here. Uh, you got to remember that uh, this is not the first time it's happened. I, I, in fact, I'm releasing an article on my website tomorrow that's going to talk about how the CIA has done this over the last 30 years. And if you recall back, this is the 65th anniversary of Roswell, If you remember, at the 50th anniversary of Roswell, Philip Corso came forward just almost exactly the same timing with an incredible tale about Roswell, and I think that's what's going to happen here. You're going, uh, Brandon is who he says he is. He's a legitimate guy, but I think what you're going to find is this limited sort of hangout thing that what is going to happen is the CIA is going to come back and they're going to throw the whole case into Stanton Friedman's gray basket. They're going to say, uh, we've, we've... heard the story, we can't find the documents, which leads us to a position where we can't really say for sure whether Brandon's story is true or whether it's not true, but the whole idea that the CIA was involved and that Roswell is real gets out there, and that's what they want to do. It's really irrelevant Um, what Brandon is saying, it's what's actually going on behind the scenes. Uh, The fact that the CIA has to have proved this, they have to be involved in this, and Robbie and I spent almost all day today exchanging emails back and forth trying to figure out what exactly is going on, what what is going on behind the scenes. This means something more than just some guy coming out and telling a tale because the CIA has done this a number of times, but they always pull it back so that there's no concrete evidence, because there's concrete evidence, and the Washington Post and New York Times suddenly realize they've been had, there's going to be a feeding frenzy at the CIA, and this is what they're trying to control. They don't want it completely disclosed, but they want the information dropped generally uh, slowly to the pub to the public.
1: In other words, it sounds like you're saying, a uh, Grant and Robbie and Victor that 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 what he's saying is true. Uh, but they can only go so far. They're only willing to go so far. And then that they've sort of, I guess, in terms of their legacy, they've let themselves off the hook. They've told us. They've they've told us as much as they can. Uh, but they've told also- As much ge-
8: as they're willing at this stage. Yes. Um, I think that they, obviously they could tell us a hell of a lot more.
1: But and it's true. It's what he's saying is true. Is basically, is that what you're getting at?
8: Well, you know, I think that, here's my, you know, here's my take on it. Um, it's not so, as Grant just pointed out, it's not so much the, um, the content of Brandon's Roswell statements that's intriguing as why he's actually making these statements in the first place and the possible consequences of him having made these statements. Now, to date, uh, Brandon is the most senior CIA officer, former all-serving, of course Brandon is no longer with the agency officially, to have claimed... A direct knowledge of uh, of an extraterrestrial link to the Roswell incident. Now, um, as we as we just pointed out, Brandon was um, uh, he was the CIA entertainment liaison uh, officer for for 10 years. But prior to that, he worked. Well, he he spent 35 years in the CIA, 25 years of which were in the uh, CIA's um, clandestine service. Uh, he worked in, uh, counterinsurgency, global narcotics, trafficking, weapons smuggling. He was a presidential advisor to Bill Clinton. His office had joined the, uh, DCIs for several years. He's, has uh, been a paramilitary training instructor at CIA training camps. He's, you know, it goes on and on. He's, he is, uh, you know, he, he, he is who he says he is, as Grant says. He, he, uh, you know, when it comes to high level espionage and international political maneuverings, he is who he says he is and he, he talks the talk, he walks the walk, he's the real deal. And when someone of Brandon's calibre uh, declares publicly that Roswell happened, I think we can, or at least we're expected to feel comfortable that our careful consideration of those statements is not entirely unjustified. Now, as I say, at the same time, we should be aware that it's not so much what he said that that's... Uh, Interesting as it is, why he's saying and uh, why, why he's saying this, why he's making these statements, and the consequences of him having having made them. Um, and what I mean by that is, um, well, first of all, although Brandon was speaking in the context of a promotional interview for his new fictional UFO themed book, which is called The Cryptos Conundrum, uh, it was unambiguous to anyone who was listening to coast to coast uh, that his Roswell comments were voiced not as a matter of opinion but as a matter of fact. And indeed, he's confirmed that to the Huffington Post. Um, so, if he was lying, then as lies go, that's that's a whopper. And it would surely be viewed with extreme disfavor by not only his former colleagues at the CIA, for whom Brandon has, by the way, nothing but the highest praise, but also his current uh, very high-powered employer uh, BAE Systems, which is the defense giant. And he works uh, with BAE Systems as the senior intelligence uh, a consultant for SPECTAL, which is the, uh, the intelligence division of BAE Systems. So, this is a very uh, very serious position that he's in right now uh, in terms of his current employee. Now, so, you know, so whilst a whilst savvy marketing uh, ploy for his book might might be the most obvious solution uh, to, to Brandon's Roswell statements, it's not necessarily the most logical. Um, you know, given the nature of his corporate work, it's very hard to believe that he would be so short of money that he's decided to weave this elaborate fantasy that publicly implicates the CIA that he knows and loves in a cover-up so deep and with you know, such far-reaching implications that it could, uh, if proven real, end the CIA as we know it, all simply in the hope that his book might sell exceptionally well, and I mean exceptionally well, and earn him in a year probably only half of what he earns in a month through his work for BAE Systems. Now that's a crazy way to make a penny. So clearly something doesn't add up here. His motivation doesn't appear to be financial, as some have suggested. Uh, it seems to be political. Uh, and, you know, he's not going to make these kind of statements on a whim, not simply to boost some book sales. It would risk ostracizing him from his, uh, his former colleagues at the CIA, with whom I know he still keeps close company. And it would risk making him look like a complete madman and a total loose cannon to his current employers at BAE Systems. So again, I think, from my perspective, it seems at least logical to give consideration to the idea that these statements were officially sanctioned, um, and that he's not acting autonomously here, and that there is a purpose to what he's saying. So uh, as for um, Brendan speaking the truth about Roswell, well, maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. Um, Regardless of whether he was speaking the truth, uh, his statements in that interview, and his statements the Huffington Post should, as standard procedure, have been subject to the prior approval by the CIA's Publications Review Board, which is the PRB.
1: What did he see in um, that did he how much did he did he say about what he saw in the the Roswell box at Langley?
8: Nothing other than he said he said he saw papers, photographs and other materials. He said he would not specify the nature of any of those. Um, but the strong implication I believe was that what he saw in there was presumably photographs of cadavers or of materials.
1: Alien cadavers. Crafts. Alien cadavers.
8: That's a strong implication, um, because he actually he, he says that these were he says that the craft was not of this world, um, and that the cadavers were obviously clearly not of this world either.
1: Well, let me play um, a skeptic here a little bit, and and I'll throw this out to to Grant and, and Victor. Either of you can jump in on this one. Again, let let's assume for a moment that the the uh, the military uh, created this cover story uh, 65 years ago because they wanted t- during the you know the Cold War they wanted to uh, protect secrets uh, you know this high uh, altitude surveillance uh, 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 satellite tracking device or whatever this balloon that they were developing and so they created this this uh, alien spacecraft story and that and that's why we had that first um, uh, you know press release that got out you know spacecraft captured or flying saucer captured at Roswell if that was in fact true it would stand to reason that the U.S. military then would create a number of documents and artifacts in support of that cover story perhaps they're in a box in Langley and that's what chase brandon actually saw now that's 65 years ago so why wouldn't he think after stumbling upon this cover story that it wasn't a cover story and that these were actual artifacts let me we'll uh, take a time out and uh Grant cameron victor vigiani you can weigh in on that as well as we continue to discuss the cia and the roswell cover-up here on the conspiracy show my name is richard serrett don't go away
2: we deal in illusions, man. None of it is true. But you, people, sit there day after day, night after night, all ages, colors, creeds, we're all you know.
0: You're beginning
2: to believe the illusions we're spinning here. You're beginning to think that the tube is reality and that your own lives are unreal. You do whatever the tube tells you. you dress like the tube, you ate like the tube, you raise your children like the tube, you even think like the tube. This is mass madness, you maniacs. In God's name, you people are the real thing We are the illusion So turn off your television sets Turn them off now Turn them off right now Turn them off and leave them off Turn them off right in the middle of this sentence i speaking to you now Turn them off
1: Brainwashed in our childhood Brainwashed by the school Brainwashed by our teachers Brainwashed by all the rules Brainwashed by our leaders
0: Behind the scenes. Live from Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Senn. You know, it's funny.
1: You have a, a former senior CIA official, Chase Brandon, Charles Chase Brandon, Roswell cover-up, uh, Victor Vigiani, executive director of z News Network, and uh, Grant Cameron, Canadian ufologist and uh, the man behind uh, www.presidentialufo.com. Uh, joining me and we will get Robbie Graham from the UK back as well but it's interesting you have a senior CIA uh, official a liaison to the entertainment industry saying recently publicly uh, loudly that uh, 100% with absolute 100% certainty Roswell happened just the way we've been told 65 years ago there was a, a an extraterrestrial craft that crashed north of Roswell in July of 1947 and there were alien cadavers recovered from the crash site you would think Given the the providence of that <laughs> that there would be a New York Times headline that would rival Dewey beats truman where is it we we don't we're not seeing that What does it take? Who has to say this? Who has to say it in order for it to uh, percolate uh, uh, up into the mainstream media or penetrate the, the the glass ceiling but before we maybe Grant Cameron can answer that, but before we we get to that grant, I wanted you to. Uh, comment on my previous question before the break, and that was is it possible that that Roswell box full, f- uh, filled with artifacts uh, was just part of the, the cover-up story?
7: Um, no, because first of all the CIA didn't exist when the Roswell uh incident occurred they weren't created till a number of months after the roswell crash that's one thing the cover story that you're talking about and that's why i'm saying uh there's a lot of things here behind the scenes that are suspicious about this incident occurring on 65th anniversary of roswell because the cover story you're talking about the mogul balloon that cover story was created in 1990 uh uh the second the second part the the of the that came from a Roswell report that Bill Clinton had ordered and that was in 1997 and that was released, that cover story was released a couple of days before the 50th anniversary of Roswell. So you get all these different events occurring on the anniversaries, major anniversaries of Roswell with either the Air Force coming out with a, with this mogul balloon stuff or with uh, Brandon coming out and talking about this Roswell thing. The the other reason why you wouldn't expect that this is part of the cover story is that that's not what the CIA wants. The CIA is an intelligence gathering organization. They're not there to make news. They sit in the background and gather material. The last thing they want is their name on the front of the New York Times or the Washington Post having to answer charges. And as I said before, they are on the hook for this thing. They have already told Robbie Graham... That they are going to answer uh, Robbie Graham's uh, drafted letter as to uh, explaining what Chase Brandon did on Coast to Coast. So they have to answer, and I know Billy Cox uh, has uh, a reporter has. Filed a letter with the CIA, and I'm sure that Lee Spiegel, who wrote the Huffington Post article, has a letter into the CIA, and they are being deluged. They are right now trying to figure out how they're going to handle this, because they've got a CIA guy that is verified CIA, who's on the record now uh, on, on Huffington Post, which is a major article uh, today, which has over 1,100 Facebook shares, it's, it's 500 comments, it's, it's going viral this article, and I know Robbie tried to get the article out, and nobody would take it, and even the Huffington Post wouldn't take it. They were doing their own article, and now it's started. You're one of the few first people, and this story's been around for two weeks, are one of the first uh, news agencies that's even picked up on this story. So it's been dropped, but the CIA is under pressure. They've been under pressure for a couple weeks to answer these charges, and this is not what they want. They don't want to put out cover stories. They don't want to put out kind of uh, goofy little stories, because they're not there to make news. They don't want to be in the news. They want to sit in the background and gather stuff. So the fact that some guy came out is very important, because the CIA had to have known, and as I said before, he two weeks ago he talked about this, now he's come out publicly again, there's no doubt, because Robbie wrote the letter to the CIA, that the CIA would have had to have talked to Chase Brandon in the last two weeks, and after they talked to him, Chase Brandon comes out again, which reinforces the fact that the CIA is playing a major role in whatever is going on here.
1: Okay, Grant, uh, hold on. Robbie Graham has uh, rejoined us from the UK. We'll get him on here. I'd like to f- find out from Robbie, if we can, the contents of that letter that he drafted to, and sent to the CIA. We'll do that. Victor Vigiani from uh, Zeland News Network uh, joins us in studio as well as we continue to discuss the CIA and the Roswell cover-up. And this bombshell, a former senior CIA official saying publicly on the record everything you've heard about roswell 65 years ago an alien spacecraft crashing in the desert the recovery of alien cadavers it's all true all true back with more of the conspiracy show stay with us
0: calling all time travelers vampire slayers and alien abductees The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett continues. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740. If this story is true,
1: if we are to believe senior CIA official, former CIA official, Charles Chase Brandon, when he said that everything you've heard about Roswell 1947, UFO crash, aliens recovered, dead bodies, dead aliens, If is 100% true. If this is, in fact, true, this should be the biggest story of the last, I don't know, how do you even compare this? The biggest story ever, perhaps. Uh, and yet, many of you tucked into your beds tonight are hearing it for the first time. Why? Ask yourself. Why are you hearing it at 1245 a.m., on an AM station. Why are you not hearing it on on, on CNN? We'll uh, discuss that with uh, Grant C- uh, Cameron. Robbie Graham, uh, we've uh, joined him on the line from the UK. Robbie, you drafted a letter, you sent a letter, rather, to the CIA asking for clarification on this?
8: I did, yeah. And what I'd like to do, uh, thanks Richard, is I'll just quickly read you the questions. I won't read you the full letter. The full letter is three pages long. I'll read you just the the questions that I put to the CIA, and then is what I'd like to do is just further clarify my position on this whole on this whole case, on this whole story. So the questions um, put to the CIA in a letter signed by myself, uh, Dr Matthew Alford, Grant Cameron, and Victor Vigiani, were as follows. M- number one, uh, was Mr Brandon's interview on Coast to Coast AM on 20th 23rd, 23rd of June 2012? And were the comments he made during this interview subject to prior approval by the cia's publications review board number two does mr brandon's assertion that the cia currently has in its possession proof of extraterrestrial visitation which we stress he claims to have seen while working in his capacity as entertainment liaison officer constitute a disclosure of classified information if so is he subject to legal penalties or other action as a result of this disclosure if not why not number three Is Mr. Brandon still under contract with the CIA in any capacity? Number four. Are there any circumstances under which members of the public, academics or journalists, for example, might be granted limited access to the HIC? In other words, after the historical intelligence collection, where Brandon claims to have seen the material. In other words, is it possible for the public to independently verify Mr. Brandon's claims regarding the Roswell materials in the HIC? Number five. As an extension of the above question, what CIA communication policies are in place to provide the public with an opportunity to respond to and inquire about materials observed and statements made by former CIA operatives concerning a Roswell matter that may be seen to communicate classified intelligence or national security information in a public forum? And number six. If avenues for public verification of Mr. Brandon's claims are not available at this time, we ask that the CIA officially comment on his Roswell statements, either confirming or denying their veracity. And then we clarify uh, that uh, these, these questions are posed not in the context of Chase Brandon's fictional book, but in the context of his factual public statements. Um... Now, the CIA responded and said that they would look into our inquiries and get back to us, uh, I quote, quickly. That was a week ago. We're still waiting to hear. I'll be contacting them again this week to chase that up. Now, here's my speculative take on all of this, what it's worth, and I'll I'll make this very quick. So, Brandon, uh, and this is, is, I stress, speculation. So, this is one, one hypothesis. Brandon has made these Roswell statements with official approval. Now, regarding Roswell being a crash and recovery of anotherworldly craft and, and bodies, uh, he isn't telling us anything we haven't already figured out for ourselves. In fact, he's telling us what we want to hear. And since a lot of people in the UFO community already take for granted that Roswell was real and, 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 and extraterrestrial in nature, those same people, and we're talking about a lot of people here, automatically deem Chase Brandon to be a trustworthy source. He, he establishes his credibility in the public eye. He gains our trust because he's telling us uh, that Roswell is real, which we, which we already kind of know. So at the same time, while making these Roswell uh, uh, revelations, shall we say, uh, Brandon is um, you know, he's subtly absolving the CIA of any ongoing complicity in this active UFO cover-up. It's what he says in his Coast to Coast interview is that Roswell is essentially dead and buried. It's... You know, it's it's a crime of the past, not of the present. Don't blame it on on the current CIA. And this is regardless of whether or not Brandon is actually telling the truth about what he saw in that alleged Roswell box. He may may not have seen this box at all. You know, he he might simply be following orders, uh, acting on instructions to deliver certain information to the public in a certain way. Now, that's just step one in what may be a more complex operation. By capturing the world's attention with these, you know, Roswell-Happen statements, what he does is encourages people to read his book. And that's potentially the bigger goal here. And, to, and, and, and not only to read his book, but to read his book as fact disguised as fiction. So although the book is labeled fiction, and in this hypothetical scenario, the, he and the CIA uh, would want uh, people to interpret it as fact based on his, you know, his apparently truthful comments to, to Coast to Coast. And that's the ploy, because his book really is fiction. It's a a paranoid fantasy written uh, primarily to instill fear and and, and so confusion uh, in all those who read it. And the motivation, though, for Brandon's book was not financial because he's got very little to gain from it financially uh, on top of what he already makes. But the motivation seems to be political. It's about perception management and disinformation. Brandon's areas of expertise, let's not forget. So my advice would be listen to what he has to say. Scrutinize his every word. Seek to understand these words, uh, you know, to decipher them. Uh, But then I would say disregard them, let them go, because it's not so much what Brandon is saying about Roswell and UFOs, it's why he's saying it and how he's saying it that's important. So the truth, I would say, here lies in the motivation, not in the content.
1: Victor Vigiani, uh, what does this mean, uh, potentially, for the disclosure movement, you and I have talked uh, many, many times mm-hmm. on this program with a noted uh, registered lobbyist in Washington, Stephen Bassett, mm-hmm. who's uh, who's uh, t- who's done just about everything he can uh, to get an official uh, statement from the White House, including these petitions and so forth, to acknowledge the UFO uh, presence or the the ET presence, and uh, really nothing, very little to show for his his efforts. What will this single Announcement by a senior CIA official due. For the disclosure
0: movement.
5: Well, very briefly, and, and going extending what Robbie just said. Okay, it's not what he said and, and why he said it, uh, and maybe why, but it's like an asphalt driveway. You know, you've got an asphalt driveway. and There's that one weed at the bottom of the driveway that keeps on popping up through the asphalt. And we know that asphalt's pretty thick. And the way this conspiracy and the cover-up has been handled is a very thick one. But there's still that weed that continues to pop up through the driveway that you just can't kill, no matter how much you know, uh, uh, pesticide you put on, it just keeps on popping up. This is like that weed. It's not going to go away. This is a road of no return. Lee Spiegel of the Huffington Post has written about this, and there's more to come on that one for sure. Um, The CIA, as Robbie has just said, will be getting back to us about the letter that we sent. So they have a vested interest in finding out what's going on. Another reason why disclosure is going to be affected by this. The other thing that my news agency has covered this worldwide, and people are picking up on it. Now, the next thing will be, and this is my prediction, 60 Minutes. People like Leslie Stahl, Steve Croft, Morley Safer... They have to be the next people to find out about this. They will get a hold of this because you don't get the CIA involved in this just on, on a whim. These people are going to pick up on this, and my prediction is that Chase Brandon at some point will be on 60 Minutes, and this will be the tipping point for disclosure. This is a game-breaker as far as I'm concerned.
1: Wow. Uh, you know, can I make a prediction? not to throw not to be the human sandbag here go ahead but they're going to th- this is going to just like when edgar mitchell uh when was in the uk and was making these incredible uh, pronouncements about uh about aliens and, and being told uh, by people i believe in the pentagon and so forth that, that, that the ets are real and and uh they are interacting with 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 governments here on earth what did that get maybe 48 hours in in the news cycle and then was dropped why do you believe that same thing is not going to happen here i think it is
8: what i would say can i can i just say something that yes. I, I would I actually agree with you that uh, richard um to an extent the only difference there is that mitchell was talking um presumably off his own back completely autonomously uh, having decided to come forward with with certain information that he'd received second hand um, whereas brandon is here is talking uh quite possibly and presumably probably with the official backing of the CIA, with, with the with the nod. And he's talking, he's claiming, whether or not it's true, he's claiming to have seen the proof with his own eyes. Mitchell did not claim that. So there's a difference, there is a distinction, but I agree that even, even though there is that distinction, I don't know that this is a game changer. I do think it's a very important development, and we should scrutinise it very carefully, but I, I don't think it's necessarily the road to disclosure. And if it is the road to disclosure, it's the wrong road to be on.
1: Grant Cameron, why isn't this a huge story? Uh,
7: well, I'd like to comment on what, what everybody's making these predictions. My prediction, uh, Victor is got a point that at some point, They're going to push this too far and they're going to get a situation where 60 minutes or somebody's actually going to take a look at this. This may be one of those things, but what I think the CIA has this planned. This is the 65th anniversary of Roswell. They have this under control. They know what the next move is. And what I say the next move is they're going to, they're not going to call him a liar. They're not going to say it's for real. They're just going to say we heard the story. We look for the documents. We can't find the documents. And I predict the story will die right there.
1: And, and, and then, and what becomes of, of, uh, of Charles Chase Brandon? Does he just just disappear from the
7: the, (laughs) people over the last 30 years who have come forward? Uh, Edgar Mitchell being one said he was briefed by a high ranking military person and, uh, Bill Moore, the story that I'm going to release tomorrow, Bill Moore, the story that he was uh, contacted by this uh, very high CIA official in 1980, and I tell the whole story of how he was given all this material, and it looked like it was going to be disclosure, the MJ-12 document, that all died out. This has happened over and over and over again for the last 30
1: years. Well, it'll be interesting interesting to see how this has played out in the media, uh, uh, you know, beyond uh, the next 48 hours, if it hasn't already been played out and, and, and finished. But, uh, uh, Grant Cameron, presidentialufo.com. Thank you so much for this. Thanks. Uh, Robbie Graham, and, uh, the blog is silverscreen saucers.blogspot. Uh, I've linked to that on my website at richardserret.com. Uh, people really owe it themselves to check out, uh, uh, Robbie's uh, blog because there's some amazing information there. Thank you, Robbie.
8: Thank you, Richard.
1: And, uh, Victor Vigiani, as always, uh, from Zealand News Network, thank you for uh, for pulling this one together and bringing it to my attention. This
5: is huge. Thanks, Richard. It's been um, great to get this out, and with your assistance, this may go a lot further. Zeland, give us a website for Zeland. Zealand
1: Communications. Just Google that, zelandcommunications.ca. All right, my thanks to David Gaskin for technical production. And uh, again, thanks to uh, WZGM in Asheville, North Carolina, for joining the Conspiracy Show family. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed, and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite, I'm coming home.